Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Nebia. Get 15% off Nebia products at nebia.com slash appleinsider and ExpressVPN. Get three extra months for free when you sign up at expressvpn.com slash appleinsider. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and joining me this week is my friend across the pond, William Gallagher. What? I can't even say your name today. William Gallagher. How you doing? I'll take anything. Or you. I respond to that as well. I'm very particularly well this time. Thank you. How are you? That's great. I'm doing well. I'm not sure why I couldn't pronounce Gallagher. Gallagher. I'll keep that in the show, though, so our listeners can enjoy that mispronunciation. (laughs) If you listen to our HomeKit Insider podcast, you'll hear me mispronounce many things. So just if you want to enjoy more mispronunciations. But, William, you just shared with me before we jumped on the call that you have 5G in your home. What happened? I'm in the UK where three, my carrier has promised it's been rolling out slowly. And a couple of weeks ago, I had I suddenly found out 5G at a local shop. Um, and then two or three days ago, I found out 5G in my bathroom, <laughs> but not in the office. And as of now, it's everywhere. I can sit at my desk and, and bless it because I was doing a six hour Zoom workshop and my internet Wi-Fi went down in the middle of it. Wow. Uh, I did most the rest of the session, two hours of the session, uh, tethered over 5G and nobody could tell the difference. It was oh, wow. gorgeous. That's amazing. So what is the speed? I mean, if you run a speed test, what are you getting? Well, that's the one thing that makes this um, good and bad. I mean, I had begun to think that 5G was a, was a bit of a joke because here in the UK, like everywhere outside the US, we can't get uh, MM Wave. Even if MM Wave 5G is available in your area, iPhones will not recognize it. So we're on the kind of diet 5G and I didn't think I was going to get much from it. But that first moment when it had, I did a speed test and without it over regular Wi-Fi, I was getting about 60 megabits per second. And then when I turned it off Wi-Fi and onto 5G, I got 522 megabits per second. What? And then two hours later, uh, it was down to, it was actually slightly less on 5G than over Wi-Fi. The range is different. And that's download speed. The upload speed is is crazy. When I had 522 down, I had only five up. Right. And then later when it was back to 60, I had 30 up. So it's, I think they just haven't finished fitting all the bits yet, but it was at, <laughs> at its best. It's so much better than I was expecting that it's great. So that is not MM Wave, but just like standard 5G, and you still got up to 500 something megabits per second? Yes. I didn't know that was possible, but I, I, I took a screen grab of the speed testing in case I was misreading something. Yeah, send that to me. That's which I have done before. Here in the States, you know, I was able to do, I was able to find one spot here in Florida where I got the MM Wave on AT&T. They call it the 5G Plus, and I got like 1500 down, but it was literally like a 20 square foot area of a parking lot where I could get it. Yes. And the normal 5G that you get on AT&T or even Verizon, you know, you're dealing in maybe 100 or 120 megabits down at the most. Maybe you can get up to 200, but you don't see much faster than that on any carrier here in the States. So to get 500 something on just like regular 5G, that's pretty great. So, and three is the carrier that you were using in the UK. So if other UK listeners, you know, if you're using a three or a different carrier and you started getting 5G recently, we'd love to see screenshots of what speed tests you're getting. It's pretty fast though. 
I mean, a pretty fast rollout then. I mean, you didn't have it a couple months ago and now it's there. No, uh, I have now sent you the screenshot. So please look at it and then patiently explain to me that I was reading the numbers backwards or something. I'll, I'll accept <laughs> anything. No, no, that is accurate. 522 down. That's that's impressive. Very cool. I was once on a BBC radio thing. I was driving a sports program. I wasn't presenting. I was just doing the technical side and a cricket score came in. And, and as required, I fed the news to the presenter. But the new, it was an exceptional news. It was a record breaking cricket score and because he knew I knew nothing about sport he refused to say it on air because he was certain I'd misread the numbers so I've got form on this <laughs> and I'm not proud of it that's it's all right well there is proof in the screenshot so I'll use that as the chapter art for this little segment and so listeners can see that now excellent we need to talk about some of the apple car rumors that have been bubbling to the surface the last couple of weeks it is heating up some analysts even saying that there's going to be an imminent announcement of Apple talking about who they're going to partner for manufacturing with this Apple car, maybe even in the first half of 2021. So a couple of points of interest. One is this analyst called Daniel Ives. He says that Apple entering the electric car market is now a matter of when and not if. That was in a note to investors. And some of the top choices for manufacturing is supposedly Volkswagen or Hyundai. There's been all kinds of rumors kind of in and out saying maybe they were in talks with Kia or Nissan and Renault. Again, all rumors and speculation on that. But another analyst says, this is Adam Jones, and this was in a note to investors, to Morgan Stanley Auto and Shared Mobility, that the Apple car is coming and it's not going to be a traditional experience, meaning no steering wheel. So this would be like a total self-driving car. So again, while this is all just kind of notes to investors and analysts saying it, it does appear like Apple is certainly doing work. We've been reporting on it since like 2014. I'll actually put an article in show notes that kind of shows the whole history of, of how this has been going. And I think it was in 2015, Apple Insider actually had the Project Titan article where we really kind of uncovered a lot of the details, at least that could be known at the time. And now it looks to be imminent. Even Bloomberg is reporting that Apple has more than doubled its autonomous car road testing last year. But the electric vehicle market is definitely picking up. Even with GM, GM made the announcement that by 2035, they're going to make only electric vehicles, no more gas-powered vehicles by 2035, which Sounds like a long way away, but it's really only 14 years. So 14 years, GM, one of the biggest manufacturers here in the U.S., not going to make any gas-powered cars. So just wild to think. I mean, I have to imagine that an Apple car physically existing in a place where we could see it and touch it, I mean, it's got to be at least three to five years off, don't you think, William? I'm I'm wondering if there's a team in Apple that's secretly giggling about all this, because the truth is they're <laughs> making a range of toy cars. Oh, it's not no. a big thing at all. It's just a little thing, a little uh, a HomePod mini-shaped car to drive around. Yeah, it could be, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's hard to see the leap to the, the final stage, the, the launch, the, the reality of it. But what you just said then about GM and things, it's amazing how the world has changed. But um, I was watching a 1978 episode of Lou Grant the other night, and there was a throwaway reference to electric vehicles then. And I, I can't conceive that we've been talking about it. It was assumed you'd know what they meant when they said it as well. So it was known and in the air in 78. And all of these years on, suddenly everything is ramping up and suddenly it's becoming this overnight uh, success. It's uh, quite an incredible change for technology, I think. And brilliant. It definitely has. And, you know, Tesla's still kind of leading the pack, at least in mind share 
there and the actual cars on the road. I see Teslas all the time. Mm. You know, of all the things that would take a while to come, obviously Apple making an electric vehicle, pretty, you know, reasonable, but to be totally self-driving, not even a steering wheel in the car, I don't know, maybe that'll be an upcharge of $600 like wheels for the Mac Pro. I don't know. (laughs) But (laughs) no, I don't think that would be crazy. But to be totally self-driving, you know, I feel we're we're almost like five to 10 years off. Even Tesla with its fully automated autopilot thing, it does wonders and it can work in many, many situations, but it's still not 100% of the time. And there's still even a warning, you know, if you're a Tesla owner with that self-driving feature, you know, they tell you, you still got to pay attention. You still have to have hands on the wheel or close to the wheel in case something happens. So, mm-hmm. you know, for it to be totally, totally automated, that I feel is even farther off, like maybe 10 plus years. But I could also see, you know, places where taxis or ride-sharing services would utilize these kind of self-driving cars. I remember I was in London a number of years ago, and the black taxis, you know, it was always fun to take those. But I I could also imagine a world where those black cab taxis have no drivers in them. They just take you around. You just tell it where you want to go. I don't know if the Hey Siri command maybe needs to be improved by then so it can actually tell you where to go. i got to say, actually, with it, specifically with those black cabs, there will always have to be a human driver because apparently they break down like you can't believe. Ridiculously expensive to maintain and keep on the road. Uh, so if somebody can get rid of them, like the yellow cabs in New York and things, if you can change to other things in London, they would. And then I can see it. Well, if the, if the black cabs keep breaking down, that's sounds like a market opening for someone like Apple to jump in there. Just, I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, think. Well, we have a ton of articles about the rumored Apple car. You could check those out in the show notes and in the article on appleinsider.com slash podcast if you want to read more about that. Some additional features have been discovered in iOS 14.5. We're on the beta cycle right now for 14.5. New features include setting a default app for playing music from Siri. So right now, you know, default apps are... A little weird on the iPhone right now. Supposedly you can set a default mail emailing app and a default browser. Sometimes that resets. It doesn't always stick. But with the iOS 14.5 beta, it appears as though you can set a default music app. So if you want to use something like Spotify or YouTube Music, you'll be able to set that. So when you tell Siri that you want to play music or play the album, you can say on Spotify or on YouTube Music, and it'll play that by default. Also, there appears to be accident reporting and speed trap reporting coming to Apple Maps in this latest beta of iOS 14.5. Kind of like that crowdsourcing information you would get from Waze and other apps have this where you can report an accident or report a speed trap and then other Apple Maps users will be able to see that and then watch out for those kinds of things in the future. But uh, the default music app will be interesting. I don't use Spotify, so I don't know. Does that appeal to you, William, at all? No. Not in the slightest. <laughs> I tried Spotify for a while before Apple Music even came out and it was fine. It just felt like listening to the radio uh, a bit. There was a commercial every three songs. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't particularly tailored to what I liked or didn't like. Uh, I'm sure if I paid for it, uh, I would get the same pleasure I do out of Apple Music. But I like Apple Music so much uh, that there's just uh, no interest in swapping over. Yeah. Is there actually any difference between the services now? There's got to be a, a slightly different library but probably only slightly. Slightly. And I, I prefer Apple Music like you. I do think that some artists do exclusives, you know, at least for a certain amount of time. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah, I think t- yeah. Taylor Swift's latest albums, one of them came out on Apple Music first 
for like a day or for a week or something like that. Not huge differences. It's really more preference now and you can get eventually every music everywhere. But this feature is actually interesting because in the screenshot, you can look at it in the article, link is in the show notes, but not only can you choose other music apps like Spotify and YouTube Music, but they also have third-party podcast apps like Pocket Casts and Castro in this menu. And so what I am hoping for is I would be able to tell Siri to play a podcast from Pocket Casts like without having to open the app or do a Siri shortcut. Because right now you can create a shortcut that starts resume playing from Pocket Casts, for instance. That's what I use to listen to all my podcasts. But I can't just say resume podcast from Pocket Casts. Or I can't just say resume podcast and it plays from Pocket Casts. It only uses Apple Podcasts by default right now. So I would love for this feature, which again, there are podcast apps in that little menu where you can choose where you want playback to start from. But I'm hoping that you can actually choose third-party podcast apps as well with these new commands. So we'll see if that actually happens. What podcast app do you use, William? I was curious. Well, actually, Apple's one. Yeah, I've looked at others. I try them. I go to them for a while and I come back. Most of them seem to offer features that I don't want, like uh, the ability to speed up uh, a podcast. If you want to get through a podcast quicker, read the transcript. You know, uh, I'm I'm a radio background. I think things are built to be listened to a certain way. And if it isn't doing it for you, if you don't like it, find a show that is. So just speeding it up too quickly doesn't appeal. Cutting out the silences, it just feels pointless. So there's the big selling points of other alternatives don't do it for me. And I end up coming back mostly because it's the one that plays when you ask for a podcast by default. Right. So maybe if I could change to something, I, w- I would stick. But not. I know people complain about Apple's podcast app, but I'm just fine with it, really. Uh, but you, as you say, Pocket Casts is, is your choice. Yes, because I don't, I don't change playback speed, like you were saying. I, I don't prefer that. I don't like having this silence stripped because you know that affects how a podcast flows and all that mm-hmm. what i really like about pocket casts is the flexibility of adding new episodes to like the queue or the up next queue because every podcast individually you can say you know automatically download it give me a notification yes or no on both of those and then you could say add it to my up next queue and you can say add it to the top of the list or the bottom so let's say you have a favorite podcast like Apple Insider podcast, of course, you could say, yeah, so when a new episode of Apple Insider comes out, download it automatically, send me a notification, and add it to the top of my up next list. So whatever episodes I have in the queue, that Apple Insider will jump the list and be played next once my current podcast ends. In addition to that, you can actually set custom skip intro points for each podcast you listen to. Let's say you have a podcast. (laughs) Yes. And then let's say you have a a show where you know for the first two minutes they're going to be doing ads or some kind of intro that you've already heard a a thousand times. You don't want to hear it anymore. You can set it to skip the first 20 seconds or the first minute of an individual podcast and you can change that setting show to show. And so I do that on some of mine where I know there's like stock intros every week. And so I do that And then the last killer feature that I really like is if you want to listen to a specific episode of a podcast but not have to subscribe to it, you can search for that podcast or episode, look at all their episodes in the list, and then just add one episode to your queue or your up next list, and you don't have to subscribe automatically. And so I like being able to just add a single episode from a show. Oh, and one other feature. This is not an ad for Pocket Cast. They've not given me any money, but it is my favorite podcast app. 
And the last thing is you can share a link that jumps to a specific timestamp in the show. And there are other podcast apps that do this. Overcast does it. I think Castro does it as well. But if I want to share this, like from this moment, so when I want, when someone clicks the link that I share, it jumps to, you know, 15 minutes into the show and they start listening there. You can actually share that current position in episode. In Apple Podcasts, you can share an individual episode as a whole, but not a specific timestamp. So all those features together, I really love Pocket Casts. There's also a great web player and it syncs across my devices. I have it on my iPad and my iPhone. So I don't know, Pocket Casts for the win. Uh, you, you had me at that skipping intros because there's two podcasts I listen to where they're really, really good, but the first five entire minutes are numbingly tedious. <laughs> One of them has the presenters talking about what drink they're drinking this week mm. and so, yeah it's always tea with me so i don't get it but right another one has fantastic interviews but i cannot uh, how do they fill all this time beforehand not saying anything but they do right i'm sold pocket casts i'm after it oh Thank you. all right next time we're in the show i'd love to hear your experience with it because i, I do love it it's been great this episode is brought to you by the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. You've heard me talk about Nebbia before, and I have to tell you, I am still using it and still love the shower experience that you get with the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. If you didn't know, Nebbia started in Mexico City where water shortages were a big problem. They came to Silicon Valley to raise money, and none other than Tim Cook himself was one of Nebbia's first investors. The Nebbia product was developed by former Tesla, Apple, and NASA engineers to create a superior shower experience while saving water. That's the whole mission of the Nebbia company, is to save water while giving you an incredible shower experience. And to date, Nebbia has currently saved over 175 million gallons of water. It might be a little intimidating to think about changing out your entire shower head. And I'm not a super do-it-yourself guy, but listen, when you get your Nebbia by Moen Spa shower, all the instructions and parts and everything you would need to install it in your home and replace that old busted shower head. Nebbia provides everything you need to replace that old shower head from parts to step-by-step -step instructions, beautifully designed and they look great. I was actually able to do it myself in just about 15 minutes, 15 minutes to change out my whole shower head. It's a super easy install. You don't have to be intimidated by that at all. And once you get it installed, you will not go back because it is an incredible shower experience. Not only does it have great rinseability, and I learned this word from them, thermal comfort, meaning it gets really hot, but those atomized water molecules that come out of the shower head and the wand, which I'll talk about in a second, just envelop you with water and it feels great. And not only should you get the Nebbia by Moen Spa shower, which is also height adjustable, which my kids love, but they also have this wand that you can come as an attachment. It uses this little magnetic dome in your shower and the wand hangs on it. Love that. And together, it just creates an awesome shower experience. It's one of their most affordable showers yet, starting at just $1.99. And again, it saves 45% of water compared to the normal shower head, but has two times better coverage. It's available in four finishes. I got the brush to nickel, which is great because it's fingerprint resistant. You don't get water spots on it. And not only did I get the shower, but I actually got the shower shelf to match so I can put all my loofahs and soaps on there. And I liked all this stuff so much, I actually got three towel hooks in that brush nickel finish to match the shower and the shelf. And again, let me tell you, my kids actually love it. If your kids don't like taking a shower now, I'm just saying the Nebbia by Moen Spa shower might get them enthused about taking a shower next time. You can get 15% off Nebbia products right now if you're a listener of the Apple Insider podcast. Nebbia doesn't usually do sales, so this is a great opportunity 
So go to nebia.com slash Apple Insider. That's N-E-B-I-A dot com slash Apple Insider. Take a look and use the coupon code Apple Insider, all one word, when checking out to get 15% off Nebia products. That's nebia.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Nebia for sponsoring this episode. Well, you actually had an article, William, talking about some rumored technology that Apple might be using to do glucose blood sugar level testing from the Apple Watch that does not need to physically draw blood from whoever's wearing it. This is using something called terahertz radiation, yeah. which I've not heard before until I saw your article. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you found out there? I was the same. I hadn't heard of it either. And I'm looking at all this technical detail trying to work out what it is. I had help. Somebody explained what it actually <laughs> okay, okay. And once I knew, then suddenly I was really into this because uh, although Apple is really, yeah, it's a patent application is they're very careful what they say they don't want to pin things down and they do want to make things broad so they never say apple watch they never say glucose or blood sugar but the technology they're talking about is for that this is technology that would make your apple watch able to measure your blood sugar levels now if you've ever had to have your bloods done you're thinking how i mean normally one has to be actually you're prodded with a needle and things like this uh first but this would use in a very similar way to way apple watch now uses light and reflections and what uh, what light goes out and what light comes back from the back of the watch and working out what's interfering with it and trying to detect what could be blocking certain frequencies of light this would do the same thing using this uh, i can barely pronounce it type of em radiation if it works when it works it's going to be amazing i think there have very recently been quite a few stories that uh, this feature will actually come in the apple watch series 7 and i i don't know about that if it does i'm buying an apple watch series 7 i think i've just got to try it but at some point apple will get there but they're not the only people trying it so at some point everybody will get there and can i mean uh, yes the fact that you don't have to prod yourself with a needle is great but the fact is also just like everything else on the apple watch it would be able to check this all the time it could continually look out for things and ping you a warning when there's a change or next time you go to your doctors you could have a complete record a history of all of the last weeks and things for it so it's just going to be an astounding thing that will be in some apple watch hopefully soon yeah that's pretty amazing and so again apple watch 7 we're on series 6 right now that's what came out this past september so if this does come to series 7 that would be this fall this september this october so yeah be pretty amazing if that was the case genuinely i read all of this technical detail and then i checked where my uh the bank balance i keep for spending on gear and i thought right i'm reserving that for the series seven just in case yeah, that would, that would be amazing. So very cool. So I want to cover this announcement that was made about Mark Cuban co-founding a podcasting platform slash app. So if you don't know Mark Cuban here in the United States, I think he's most famously credited for like Shark Tank and also owning, what is it, the Mavericks? I think <laughs> he owns the basketball team here in the United States. But Mark Cuban, this announcement has now come out that he's co-founding this podcasting platform that's going to allow podcast hosts to interact live with their listeners. If you've been following kind of the podcast space, there's been an app that just came out recently called Clubhouse. It's by invitation only, but Clubhouse is where you can actually go into like rooms, like think of it as a chat room, but for audio. So you don't type things, 
you actually speak. Like microphones can be on. You might have three hosts kind of talking in the room and everyone else is silent. Or you can open it up where people can like raise their hand and then be turned on and you can hear them talking in the room. So that's Clubhouse. And it looks like Mark Cuban is creating this service to directly compete with something like that and give podcasters this ability to interact with their fans. He's calling it a podcast platform. So it might be more than just an app. It actually might be a hosting platform where you would actually put your MP3 files and create the feed as well. Unsure about all that. But what is most interesting about this announcement is he is calling it Fireside, or him and the co-founder are calling it Fireside. But Fireside already exists. If you didn't know, podcaster Dan Benjamin, he started 5x5.tv, one of the longstanding podcast networks. He actually started his own podcast hosting company called, guess what, Fireside. It's at fireside.fm. And the reason why we know that is because the Apple Insider podcast actually uses their hosting services from fireside.fm. So this announcement came out earlier this week and Dan Benjamin, he recorded a video and he mentioned on a couple podcasts, actually he made a statement to The Verge. I'll put The Verge article in the show notes, but he was like, nobody reached out. (laughs) Nobody asked about the naming. You know, he has the trademark and all that. They just announced it with the name and that's it. No one contacted Dan Benjamin at all. And if you Google Fireside, you know, the Fireside Dan Benjamin's hosting service for this podcast comes up like right there on the first page, first results. And very strange that they would just co-op the name. Kind of a jerk move, to be honest, if if they checked and they saw it with someone else and used it anyways. I can't imagine that this company that Mark Cuban is co-founding didn't look to check to see if this name was already used, but they already have like a logo and a branding, it seems like, and it seems like this has been in the process for a number of months. Hiring began as early as September for this new Fireside platform. So this is just a, a very interesting story for that reason and also for the future of podcasting in general. I'm really curious for you, listener, if you want to actually try something like this Maybe with myself, William, and Wes, and some of the other Apple Insider staff. I'm on Clubhouse. I got an invite. I have a few extra invites, too. If anybody wants one of those, tweet at me and follow me on Twitter at Stephen Robles. I can send you an invite. But if that's something that you would like to use or see, let me know. We can jump on Clubhouse and try it. But very curious of how this might start shaping the future of podcasting. It might be less and less a presentation type. You just listen to it. Well, I'm sure that will always exist. This looks like it's going to start creating a more interactive podcasting platform now with Clubhouse and with this thing that Mark Cuban is doing. But am I wrong, William? Is this kind of like a jerk move for for Mark Cuban, this like huge figure in American business, owner of a NBA basketball team to just kind of use this name and not even check if there's another company by the same name? Basketball, of course. When you said the Mavericks, I thought it was the country music band, which I like very much. I was surprised (laughs) they weren't. Okay. Uh, I I hate to say this, but it sounds a bit Apple-like, doesn't it? Oh, my God. iPhone had similar things with it, and Apple just went straight ahead. Honestly, I'm glad you cleared this up because I saw a Fireside is launching, and I, I just unthinkingly assumed it was a Fireside I knew. Uh, through you, actually, and through Apple Insider. So um, I'm disappointed there, but I can't imagine you would go to that trouble and not do due diligence checking for other names. Uh, but I suppose, you know, mistakes happen. I'm, I'm hoping it's a mistake. It just... What happens next? Yeah, it's it's curious. Again, I will be following it closely because Fireside is, is what hosts this show. But I'm also curious about the different services that are coming out. Clubhouse is already out. You can use it if you have an invite. Twitter is also testing a spaces feature where it'll be like a live broadcasted 
thing where people can enter a conversation with hosts and things like that. It's not traditional podcasting. It's this more interactive style deal. But I'm very curious what the future of this would hold. Listeners, if this is something that you're curious about, or maybe you've done some clubhouse stuff and you'd like to talk more about it, I'd love to hear from you on Twitter. I've also seen some podcasts where they'll release a show. Let's say the show comes out on Friday. Then Friday night, they'll like schedule a clubhouse session and they'll say, hey, join us at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight. And you can hear our hosts going more in depth about certain topics or just taking your questions from listeners and interacting that way. Yeah, I just I just find this whole world interesting. But I'll put a link in t- show notes to the Verges article. But yeah, that's going to be Mark Cuban's Fireside or hopefully a different name, maybe a different name <laughs> once they talk to Dan Benjamin about it. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Did you know that Netflix actually hides thousands of shows and movies based on your location, but they have no problem increasing their prices on you? That's right. If you didn't know, starting at the end of this month, they're raising prices once again. Now, you could just cancel your subscription and protest, or you could be smart and get your full money's worth by using ExpressVPN like I do. You see, depending on what country you're in, maybe you're in the United States or the United Kingdom, what's on Netflix there is completely different than from what someone else sees, like in Japan. But using ExpressVPN, I can control which country I want Netflix to think I'm in. ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from, so every time I run out of stuff to watch, I just switch to another country to unlock new shows. Using ExpressVPN, I can watch Rick and Morty, even though it's not available in the United States. Or if you want to watch a show like Top Gear, you can change the country that Netflix thinks you're in to the United Kingdom, and you have access to that show right there in your Netflix app. And the best part is it's not just for Netflix. You can use ExpressVPN to unlock shows on other streaming services too. You can even use it to watch the BBC iPlayer, which is free and only available in the UK. ExpressVPN is also super fast and works on your phone, laptop, even some smart TVs, so you can watch your shows on the big screen with zero buffering. ExpressVPN is also available to install on some wireless routers, so you can protect your entire home, keep it private and secure with ExpressVPN. So be smart, stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. Don't forget to use our link so you can get three extra months free when you sign up. That's expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. So one of the things that keeps coming up is the privacy issues and the nutrition labels that Apple is putting on apps and then the do not track stuff about Facebook. We talked about that last week. But what's incredible is Google is just refusing to update their apps. You know, Google typically updated their iOS, typically updated their iOS apps like pretty often, like almost every week. And the next update, whenever that is, they're going to have to include the privacy labels in their App Store app. And for whatever reason, Google seems reluctant to update their apps Maybe because they don't want to include the privacy labels. Maybe they're busy on Clubhouse. I don't know. But users are even getting these warnings that says this app is out of date. This app being Google's own Gmail app (laughs) is out of date or is old somehow. So just a little concerning that Google is this reluctant to update their stock apps on the iPhone. I actually use the Gmail app. I kind of like it just for reliability's sake and being able to use email aliases a little easier than with the stock Apple Mail app. But it is curious that they're uh, holding out this long. So weird. 
No, no. Somebody's on holiday. That's what it mm. is. They just haven't got back. It's on their to-do list. They'll get to it. God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they just The whole company is just on holiday. <laughs> exactly. They do seem to be updating the Android versions, though. So maybe right. it's a job share thing. And mm. the iOS one is off for a few. <laughs> it was curious because in the past, Android users would usually bring this up. But a lot of times Google would bring new features and updates to their iOS apps before Android. So sometimes like a Gmail app, or I can't remember what other app it was, but like a lot of times iOS users would get the better Gmail app before Android users. So strange. But then again, this is now even more telling that they don't want to update it seemingly because of these privacy labels. So they've apparently removed the warning that says this app is out of date. But of course, I'll put that image as the chapter art so you can see what that looked like. I do like that. Let's not fix the problem. Let's just take away the image. You know, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, still exactly. out of date, but that's fine. It's yeah, exactly. Difference. Exactly. So I want to mention some macOS macro utilities. And so what I mean by macro utilities, we've mentioned things like Keyboard Maestro in the past and where you can program a bunch of steps to run on your Mac, whether that's opening and closing apps, opening and resizing certain windows, doing different opening files of things like that. So those are like macros where you can set it up, hit a keyboard shortcut, and your computer will just do a bunch of stuff automatically. One that I've reused recently and I actually really like is called Keysmith. It's called Keysmith. I think I mentioned it on the show before, but I mentioned it again and I'll put a link in show notes. It's keysmith.app. It basically allows you to record a bunch of mouse clicks and window shapings and all that. And then you can just run that macro whenever you would like to expedite if it's a task you do all the time. For me, when I'm about to record a podcast, I have macros where it'll open Skype, it'll open Audio Hijack, it'll close this window, and you can even use Apple Scripts if you want to get really deep in your macro customizations, but that's Keysmith. But then I also saw that this app has been announced. It's not available yet, but it's supposedly coming later this year, but it's called Freeze Frame. And this is actually 9to5Mac had this story, but Freeze Frame is going to let you save your desktop workspace Basically, however you have your Windows set up and apps and all that, or you could take a freeze frame of however your Mac is currently set up, save that, and then there'll be an icon in your menu bar at the top where you can then select one of your freeze frames and your Mac will rechange the, you know, whatever apps you have open and files and stuff, and it'll change your Mac's desktop to that freeze frame, whatever apps you need for whatever task you want to do. So it almost seems like an even more powerful macro style app like Keysmith and Keyboard Maestro, a little more visual where you can actually see the freeze frame, like screenshots from the menu bar when you click it. But I always love these ideas of macros and shortcuts and automating some of the processes. So freeze frame, it looks pretty cool. Uh, but for right now, if you want to try out macros, I encourage you to check out Keysmith and Keyboard Maestro, of course. Do you still use Keyboard Maestro? The legend that is Keyboard Maestro. <laughs> yeah, I, both of these sound fun, and I hadn't heard of Freeze Frame. I, I'll look at it, but I actually, I use Keyboard Maestro for all of these things. Uh, on a day, uh, any given day, I mean, I might be writing for Apple Insider for most of it, but in the morning I'll be doing drama writing, uh, in the evening I might be doing Final Cut video editing of my 58 Keys YouTube channel, and between each one I'll press two keys uh, on the keyboard and it will close all the apps for one, open them up for the others, rearrange the windows, 
exactly as I need for them. So I already have that feature. And it, it sounds like this is easier to set up. I was slightly fiddly in Keyboard Maestro, but once I'd fiddled, I couldn't tell you how to do it because it's so long ago since I did it. And you know, it just, it's part of my Mac. <laughs> the functionality is great. So however you get those good, but nobody could take Keyboard Maestro away from me. There's just on pain of death, it's staying on every Mac I ever use. I love it that much. Okay, very cool. Well, I will, you know, I've tried Keyboard Maestro and I know it's super powerful. I just like to have a little more of a visual editor when I'm wanting to make a macro, you know, rather than thinking so much in text. But mm. I know Keyboard Maestro is just super powerful and can do even more things than macros, like your clipboard manager. You know, you can see all your previous copy and pasted text items and stuff. Oh, that's so... Clipboard managers, how did we live without them? I actually, weirdly enough, even though it's in... Keyboard Maestro is one of these things that does so many things, it kind of overlaps with lots of other apps. Uh, I have Alfred 4, which I use as a clipboard manager. I could get rid of it and use Keyboard Maestro's one, and, and in some macros I do, but uh, it's just so handy to have these things and they're all so good you keep using all of them but uh keyboard mouse but you you made me think there when you said about visual stuff because that's true it's closer to automator when you drag in certain things and you type what you want uh, rather than Keysmith, which sounds much more visual. Uh, but for example, uh, when I'm reporting my finances to my bookkeeper, I have a numbers spreadsheet with you know lots of different cells. I select all of those cells, I tap a button and it emails them all to my uh, bookkeeper. Having sorted through with regex, passing out which figure belongs which, adding some explanatory text that's always the same next to it, and changing this one line of number spreadsheets into a column of uh, text uh, readable email stuff with annotations and I had to do it once and it was fiddly once but I, I've used it every week for two years now and it's just utterly gorgeous all Macs should have keyboard maestro see I like creating things in series shortcuts because mm. I just have so many of them but the one issue is you can't get it on the Mac and so I am hoping maybe this year yeah. at WWDC, they will announce that shortcuts will come to the Mac. I may even jump on the beta for that because I have lots of shortcuts that I'm sure you could do this with Keyboard Maestro, but I have it already in shortcuts. I know how it works. Or even for the Apple Insider article that goes up with every podcast, how I format the links and it pulls the titles and does all the HTML automatically. It's annoying because I have to copy it on my Mac. Hopefully it copies to the iCloud clipboard. And then on my iPad or iPhone, I run the shortcut and then paste it back into the note. So a little inelegant, but man, if there could be shortcuts on the Mac, I don't know, I guess it would be a little bit like Sherlocking keyboard maestro and some of these other macro utilities. But even when Apple Sherlock something, there's always a, a wide, wide audience for all the various utilities and apps. So I, I would really like to see shortcuts on the Mac. Well, speaking of utilities and other apps, I actually had a listener write in. I'm not sure if it was an email or a tweet, but David was asking about an app or service to download YouTube videos. Now, this is in that gray area where YouTube doesn't really want you to download their videos as like video files. If you're a YouTube premium subscriber, you can download them locally to your devices, but sometimes you need a video file for whatever reason. So I'm gonna give you two ways to do it, complicated and an easy way. The complicated way, not to go into super details or step-by-step, -step, but you can use a utility called YouTube DL, and that's YouTube-DL. It's actually a terminal application that you would use. The easiest way to do it is you can install Homebrew and there's, you know, you could Google Homebrew and find out how to install that and then search for YouTube DL, install that. And then you can use terminal commands and things like that to download it. The reason why I mentioned that, but not going into detail is 
I've used YouTube DL and I've found that no video is safe from YouTube DL. I, I've been able to download not just YouTube either, but like Vimeo videos, random videos on like news websites. YouTube DL, as far as I know, has been able to download anything and everything that I've ever thrown at it. So if you really want something robust that can do anything, I encourage you to check out YouTube DL as a utility. But if you want something a little easier, straightforward, works like 90-something percent of the time, I encourage you to check out an app called Downy. That's D-O-W-N-I-E. This is from developer Charlie Monroe. I'll put a link in the show notes to this app as well. It's also a part of Set App. If you subscribe to that where you get access to like a bunch of different apps for a monthly payment, it's included in that. But Downy, it's a great little Mac application. It's been updated, so it runs on M1. I run it on my M1 MacBook Pro all the time. It's a little app, window pops up, and you paste in a YouTube link. Some It works with other videos too, not as many as YouTube DL, but you paste a video link in the little window and it downloads it. You can force it to download in the .mp4 version so you can you know, have something that's really compatible with whatever app you're trying to use it with. Downy is a great app. It's pretty inexpensive as well. I think you can buy it. Yeah, it's, it's $20, but again, highly worth it uh, if you want to try and download YouTube videos and stuff. It makes it really easy. You can download them in high quality, even 4K support uh, from YouTube. So check out Downy if you're looking to or needing to download YouTube videos for whatever reason, and I'll put a link in show notes to that. How strange that Downy is on Setup, because I was going to tell you I use an app on Setup to do this, but it's a different one. I use a thing called, I think it's pronounced Folks, F-O-L-X. I'm going to get Downy and compare the two. I, I don't know that Folks will do 4K things, but when I have needed to grab one of my own videos quickly off YouTube, I've used that because it's in Setup. And I never looked any further. If I just looked around <laughs> the corner... I'd have found Downey as well. So thank you very much for that. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Last, I want to mention, Andrew had a video go up about how to automatically change your Apple Watch face. I'll put a link in show notes to that video. But talking about automations and how to do things, you know, without you even having to think about it, you can go to the Shortcuts app on your iPhone, go to Automation, and whatever trigger, whether it's a time of day when you start a workout, I think I mentioned that on previous episodes, but one of the new commands after you do that trigger is change your Apple Watch face. And so you can add Apple Watch face, select an Apple Watch face that you've created from the list, and your Apple Watch face can automatically change depending on time of day, when you connect to a Wi-Fi network, whatever any one of those triggers you'd like to use, an NFC tag like we talked about before. So that's really cool. I'll put a link in show notes to that video as well. And lastly, I just Actually, have to mention... Oh, go ahead. If I may, though, I'd be really curious to know what people think when they try it, because I've been doing that for about a year, the automated trigger. I think it's a year, it's a long time. And and I love it. But every now and again, it changes when I didn't intend it to. Like, I have a thing that changes at 10 a.m. on Monday to Friday, and it will be on a weekend, and suddenly it's changed mm. for it. So uh, I'm curious to know what I'm doing wrong or what's changed with it. There seemed to be a point when it stopped working at all and then came back, but it is there now, and it is so handy. You get to the weekend... Having more, I have a more minimalist clock instead of all the complications I need in the week. So it's great, but I find it oddly inconsistent. I must go back over Andrew's video and see how he's done it. Yeah, and I found the time one, I've used that in the past, and it does seem a little uh, finicky, I will say. But the one automation I have set up for when a workout starts, it changes the Apple Watch face. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not doing Fitness Plus every day. So maybe if you have it, 
every day, you know, if you try to use it every day, you'd experience more, you know, glitches. But whenever I've started to work out, Fitness Plus or otherwise, the my Apple Watch changes to a face that has like my activity and heart rate and all that stuff right there on the face. So try it out. Let me know, listeners, if you have one of those or if you've experienced that glitchiness and inconsistencies. I'd like to hear it. I was actually hoping you would notice that I did an Apple Fitness thing today <laughs> because at the end of it, it sent me an award thing. And I thought, ah, we're sharing. You're going to get an award. You'll know I've done it. And then you wouldn't ask me how I accidentally cheated my way oh. through it. So, But you didn't notice, so that's fine. You don't need to know it. I'll just carry on accidentally cheating. Now, wait a minute. So did you do, did you do a workout or not? I can't tell. I did three quarters of a workout and then somebody came to the front door. I paused Apple TV and uh, when I dealt with what it was, it took long enough that um, it must have unpaused and finished and it counted it as if I got to the end. Um, interestingly, I mean, I'm, I'm not unsurprised that it uh, unpaused, but I tried to start the workout again and I, you're not, I wasn't able to scrub back to where I was and, and I didn't have the 11 minutes I needed left to do it all over again. So I tried to do a complete one. I, it's not my fault that it congratulated me <laughs> even though I'd slacked off three quarters. Okay. Well, kudos to you for doing three quarters of one anyways. That's more than I've done today. So <laughs> kudos to you. Oh, yes. there you go. If you'd like to tell us about anything, talk to me about Clubhouse, Mark Cuban's upcoming Fireside app, the Apple Car, Mac Utilities, and YouTube downloaders that you use, I'd love to hear about it. You can tweet at myself and William. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. You can also send me an email. That link is in the show notes as well. You'll find all the articles and apps we talked about there. Don't forget to check out the HomeKit Insider podcast. It comes out every Monday. This Monday, we actually have a special interview with the Eve brand manager. And so it's pretty cool to talk to him about Thread and all that smart home stuff. Don't forget to check out Apple Insider Daily to get the top three headlines a day right there in just a few minutes. That's the Apple Insider Daily podcast. And there are actually many of you giving us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We greatly appreciate that. It helps out the show. So if you haven't yet, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review there. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>